Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. The coach doesn't get to go on the field. They have to stay on the sideline. They don't get to play. They don't get to touch the ball. Right? They don't actually affect the change. They're just setting conditions to try to help the change happen. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Do you see the pure potential of every human being that works for you? When you can see something greater than even they can see, and you hold that for them, you're taking responsibility for your role to develop them. To help you do that, we're going to frame each of your employees as a TV show. And that pure potential you see in them is the end of the series. How can you use your curiosity, your questions, and your meetings to develop a story arc that leads to that final destination, allowing each person to ultimately experience what you see in them? This may be a long story arc, the person may have a long way to go, but you always have the opportunity to tell an empowering story. And hey, listen up, we've got a brand new live course starting soon, and it's a good one, so I don't want you to miss out. It's called The Art of Self-Management. How to make work not suck. If you're sick and tired of slogging through the week working for the man and feeling like you never make any real progress, then chances are this course could literally change your whole outlook on life. I'm not exaggerating, because let's face it, for most people, work really does suck a lot of the time, right? But it doesn't have to. In this 11-week live course, I'll show you how to get your nagging boss off your back, how to nix your self-sabotaging ways, and how to start using your job to become the envy of all your friends and family. Like really and truly change the way you relate to work so that you never again feel like you're stuck in the rat race. Sound impossible? Sign up for the course and I'll prove to you that it's not. The course officially begins on September 6, 2018, but if you sign up before September 3rd, you can take advantage of early bird pricing, a full 50% discount for the live course, weekly live coaching calls, and access to the private Slack group for students, not to mention a few special bonuses that you'll find out about. So don't wait. Sign up before the third. After that, the price goes up, and paying extra would totally suck. You can find out more at clearandopen.com slash work dash sucks dash course. And now, on with the show. Other sharings about what you hate about development meetings and what doesn't work about one-on-ones? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that one thing that doesn't work is, at least it seems to from my experience, is if the manager is gung-ho but makes clumsy attempts and doesn't create a situation that Sam said his current manager creates for him so that it becomes or it begins, let's say, just like Sam's old manager said it made him feel. Say more about the clumsy attempts. What do you mean by that? Well, um, I think that someone um, such as myself, for instance, (laughs) can be uh, excited about doing something uh, in a way that they haven't before, but 
not be really good at it the first time, first number of times through, and not really identify that for a long time, and not realize that that I um, haven't made the proper proper progress of uh, you know making that space where they can feel that it's just it's a it's a noticing you know the, the noticing thing starting from the noticing and jump to places where it makes them feel uncomfortable from the get go and and then i think the reaction then from from the um reporting employee can become maybe habitual because the the uh, manager is not seeing where there's where they're not quite hitting the mark mm-hmm. Well, you raise one really important idea the idea there. I love that phrase of the uh, the employee's response being becoming habitual. Beware the groove. Beware the ruts is a better word there. If the development meetings are starting to feel like the same every time, you're in a rut. Mm-hmm. And they should be edge of your seat, intense, exciting, never know what's going to happen. And that's probably, I think, the best indicator for whether you're on track or not. It's like in the, in the coaching world, we have a, a, a saying that if you're getting bored talking to your client, then they're probably bored too. <laughs> and something is wrong. That's like sort of... Um, it's like the most upstream indicator that you're off track. If something seems boring or overly familiar... Uh, you you may not know. I mean, boredom is an easy thing to feel. There's just kind of a deadness. It's like this is like, you know, a, a a meeting out of some, you know, office sitcom or a office parody thing, like you know, the show The Office or that new show Corporate is terrific on uh, at a Comedy Central show. It's terrific. I love office humor as, as long as I can, as long as I haven't eaten in an hour or two. But yeah, if it gets boring. Sometimes you got to do anything, just shake it up, ask a crazy question. You know, some of my favorite shake up questions are like, if you could wave a magic wand and change anything in this business right now, what would it be? Or if you could do any kind of work, what would it be? These things that access inspiration, aliveness. Uh, What are you terrified to tell me right now? Tell me something you don't want me to know. That's a vulnerability, inciting question. If the manager has created a situation where um, the employee feels that they're blind on uh, uh, under attack, I, I would think that that question isn't going to go. Through, not no. going to get the kind of response you want. Certainly not. Yeah, but I want to be more specific about what I was alluding to earlier. I think okay. I have a better sense. Okay. I've discovered that it seems as though when I go to a certain type of question, I feel that this employee goes into a, in a sense, a conditioned response of resistance. Have and you named that? Can I, I have not named it and I've been thinking about it. And, and what you're say, suggesting is that I should name that. Okay. Name the behaviors, name the yeah, patterns. Okay. And ask like, hmm, when I ask questions like X, it seems like you automatically go into a defensive response. Do you notice that? And what can I do to make it different? Yeah. That's an enlivening question rather than being okay with, oh, because that's a groove, right? You just named it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, well, when I say this, this tends to happen. When I say this, this tends to happen. So like if I'm working with a client and every time I point out that they make an excuse, they get angry. After the third or fourth time, they're like, you know, like part of our agreement is that when I show you, you just made an excuse, that's the time to look at it, not get angry at me for it because that's the pattern. We won't go on like that. This isn't a debate. Thank me for pointing out your excuses or this isn't productive. I thought you wanted to know. Then the conversation gets really, real, really fast. Thanks. When you were going to say something? Thanks, Peter. Yeah, I was just, just going to say that um, <clears throat> we're pretty committed to one-on-ones, but I think they go, they go badly, or not really badly, they go nowhere without some pre-planning. And so when I start taking that time for granted, instead of treating it as special, it, it just ends up being a pleasant conversation because I work with great people who are really pleasant. And, and then it kind of feels like we're wasting time. <laughs> Be as great. Again, you said so much. Let me see if I can remember it all because there's like five things in there. Definitely beware the pleasant conversation. The, uh, and as, as when said, yes, treat them as not just special. I would go on to even say sacred. You know, and related to that, it's on my list. Do not cancel these meetings carelessly. They're because they appear to be kind of uh, extracurricular, like, you know, because you're not talking about work. You ought not to be anyway. Do not mix talking about tactics and uh, to do's and that kind of stuff with a development meeting. That's a very common mistake. Do not mix content and context. Like, oh, let's talk about you know your goals, your dreams, and how you're using your job to develop yourself. Oh, but let's look at this document first that you wrote. There's a couple of typos here. Ah, that's like it makes my head hurt. Right? You you, you can't combine content content and context like that. It's going to pull the conversation down, and that's a way that many managers who are uncomfortable delivering these kinds of meetings they'll hide. And the, because they don't know what to do and they, uh, they have a couple of questions, but they're afraid of where it might go. And so they start talking about work, the content of work, um, or have a pleasant conversation or let the employee steer it, you know, where they're talking about things that are comfortable for them to talk about. But let's talk about planning for a little bit. I'd say in the beginning, it's really important to do some planning and have a sense of the story arc. You know that term from like screenplays and uh, like in a TV series because there's so many great TV series now more than there were like ten years ago. Really sophisticated, right? Uh, a, a good a good TV series like Breaking Bad or Lost or these highly developed shows. They have story arcs that go in one episode. Right? There's some stuff, problems that come up and then they're resolved by the end of the episode. There's some issues that won't resolve until the fifth episode of the season. There's some things that won't resolve until the end of the season. There's some things that won't resolve until the very end of the show. Some things even never resolve. Like You never really find out what those numbers are in Lost, do you? Right? <laughs> uh, risks lost to they were highly criticized for that because they set up it was it six or seven seasons and lost like as a show created more unanswered questions in each episode than it did answer them which was i don't know any other show that's ever done that 
And then so you're in the last season and you're like, man, they've got all the stuff they've got to resolve. What the hell is the smoke monster? And what do these numbers mean? And what is the island anyway? And they caught as many viewers, obviously I am on that boat a little bit. They copped out in some ways because they couldn't resolve it all. Right? And they decided not to. So that was the, the longest story arc. So you, all of this applies to people. What is the story? Where do you want to move this person or what's possible for them to get in that one meeting? What's going to take three meetings? What's going to take six months? Where do you see them in five years? Now, to be able to do that, you have to be able to do a couple of things. One, you have to be able to access their self-interest. You have to be able to get them to talk about what they really, really want. And that has a lot to do with your ability to ask open-ended questions, to not accept bullshit, to be able to see through stock language, and to be able to express care and curiosity in a way that actually makes people open up to you. That's one thing. The other thing you have to be able to do is to be able to see the pure potentiality of a human being, to look at them and see who and what they could be. I don't know how to teach that other than just start by assuming that everyone you talk to is playing way smaller than they could. They're playing way smaller. They could do way more. They could accomplish way more. Not that there's anything wrong with what they're doing. It's their choice. They've got their reasons. But just see that... I mean, this is the one of the essential definitions of what a coach is. A coach is someone who it sometimes said, quote, makes you do things that you don't want to do so that you get what you want. Right? The coach is the guy or gal who, as you come off the field and you know, says, good job and you can do better. Go back out there. They're, they're, a, they're a stand for you to be bigger and better than you think is possible. And to be able to do that, you have to be able to see it. You have to be able to see potential. I think everybody can do this because we all have a sense of our own gap, the gap between who, who and what we are now and who and what we could be. I mean, that's the basis of ambition, right? That you see there's something more possible that's more than just, you know, a boat and a house in the Hamptons or something, but something in you that's, that, that is more. So if you're familiar with that in you, that gap, then you'll be able to start to see it in others. And it's, it's an orientation. It's a place of curiosity. You know, when you ask someone what their dreams are, that's really what you're getting at. Because the dreams, the things that they want to have are going to be downstream expressions of who they are. And to me, that's one of the sort of tricks life plays on us. It sort of dangles these dream carrots in front of us. And the price we have to pay to get those dream carrots is to become someone else who happens to be you. And so if you're familiar with that territory in yourself, then look for it in others and flat out ask them, okay, here's this thing you want. Who do you think you're going to have to be to make that happen? What's something that you desperately want, but don't think you could actually make happen? Don't think you could earn, don't think you have what it takes. Another thing I want to talk about today that fits here is 
a manager is responsible for making sure that people neither overestimate nor underestimate themselves. That's a really cool way of framing one's uh, a manager's relationship with someone, that they're responsible for making sure they neither over nor underestimate themselves. So when they do something great, the manager makes sure they celebrate appropriately. And when they do something not great, the manager makes sure that they experience remorse. And the manager makes sure that they see exactly how skilled they are and exactly how not skilled they are depending on the moment and the issue. And so sometimes that's a wake-up call, a reality check, that kind of stuff. And that's what supervisors are usually really good at, right? Listing the, opening up the scroll and performing the sentencing. Okay, cool. That's important. But the other side of it is when a manager can see in you, or coach or mentor, when can see in you something great, something extraordinary, better than you can see it. And, and they hold that for you until you can hold it themselves. They, this is the phrase, I don't, I wince a little bit when I say this, this phrase because I have, uh, there's so much loaded in the word belief, but the idea of believing in someone. I don't like the words, but I like the emotion of it. A manager believes in someone. But the problem I have with that, that, that word, uh, that phrase, is because it can't be just a belief. It has to be an experience. You know, like I know, I'm gonna pick on Peter because I've known him longer than anybody here. So when I look at you, Peter, I see someone who is, I see your shadow who is so convinced that you know, you're incapable of becoming a really strong manager without slipping into tyrant mode. And I see a kind, open-hearted, sensitive, porous, gentle man who is a born leader. I see that every time I look at you. And I know you don't see that and you don't experience yourself that way, but I do. And that's not a belief. It's not a like, well, I, I really think that if Peter worked hard one day, he could be... No, that's not what it is. It's that like standing a, a few inches taller than you and behind you is another guy who also happens to be named Peter who shows up that way in his business. And I see him and I see you and I see the gap between the two of you. And this is not hard to do if you just look. Because it's there. It's there. So just, you, this is something you can practice, you know, with the people in your life, anybody you know, you can do this with the grocery clerk, you know, who's checking out your groceries. You just look in their eyes and ask yourself, who is it this person is capable of becoming? And you'll just get a sense. I mean, I think a lot of you probably already do this already. You all have had the sense of you looked at someone in your life and, you, you know, when we say, when we see someone dating someone and we say, oh, they could do better, right? What, that's where this is coming from. Or they see them in some job that doesn't really challenge them and we think, oh, they could do better. Well, how do you know that? Because you certainly don't absolutely know that. How do you know? It's just a sense we have. 
So this is something that I think everybody has and you can just develop it and you practice it so that you know you can look at someone in the eyes for three seconds and you can see, well, their destiny. And what that is, is of course, ultimately between them and life. All you can be is... That's the cool thing about... I love the metaphor of uh, like the, the coach doesn't get to go on the field. They have to stay on the sideline. They don't get to play. They don't get to touch the ball. Right? They don't actually affect the change. They're just setting conditions to try to help the change happen. So this is part of the joy, I think, of, of mentoring is like you get to be a, a stand, a champion. Some models do that word champion. You get to be a champion for this is what I think is possible for you. And of course, before you start talking about that kind of stuff, you better identify their interests first. Otherwise, it'd be like... Peter, I think what's possible, I think you could run a Renaissance fair. And I see you in armor and, you know, and, you, and Peter be like, oh, I think that stuff's crazy. It's stupid. No, no, it's your destiny. <laughs> Close the business and open a Ren fair. Not. <laughs> right. So first you elicit, well, what are you interested in? And then you see, and they, you know, they may say something that's like really not on the mark for them. And you may be like, well, you know, maybe being a carnival barker is not your highest good. Maybe try something like writing a eulogy and see what comes up. Some people will have dreams that are not exactly their dreams. And sometimes you can help them with that in, in one small story arc session. And sometimes it takes a really long time. So that final story arc, the end of the series, whenever that is for someone's life, that's what you're holding. You have a picture of that, a sense of that, a, a feeling of that. And of course, you ought to have that for your own life if you're going to be doing that for other people. And I would argue doing it that with yourself is about 80% of the work. And then uh, because if, you, if you're not walking it yourself, then it's all skill and not embodiment and uh, people can feel that thanks for listening to manage to engage the clear and open podcast join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be until then know that clear and open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do if you want to help the show grow I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.